And for everybody else, I'll ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, while you're turning, just a word about Good Friday. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, I'd encourage you to invite family and friends, especially, um, as are always welcome, those who may not know Christ. Uh, I've had a message burning in my heart for a little while now from Luke 23. In Luke 23, uh, we're introduced to a man named Simon of Cyrene, and he's carrying the cross of Jesus. But really, Luke focuses on, focuses focuses us in on a couple of other characters in that chapter. He looks to the women that are weeping and mourning over Jesus going to the cross, and Jesus shockingly warns them. And then he comes to a couple of thieves on the cross, and in that picture, if you're reading it, kind of with first century eyes, you'd be shocked at the fact that he's warning and rebuking daughters of Jerusalem who are weeping for him. But then there's these two thieves on the cross who certainly are despicable. So you kind of have in your mind, okay, the good ones, the daughters of Jerusalem, and the bad ones, the thieves. But he warns the good ones, the daughters of Jerusalem, and then he mercifully saves and welcomes one of the thieves that comes to him for mercy. I think that's such an important message for our world to hear. There is a group that think they're right with God just because they're better than their neighbor. They obey, they pay their taxes, you know, they vote the right way. Um, the one that will be with God in paradise is the one that comes to him through Jesus Christ and asks for mercy because they know they deserve judgment. And Christ wonderfully and graciously gives paradise for the ones that come to him for mercy. So I just preached the message to you, but I'll explain it in more detail on Good Friday. So please still come. You haven't heard the whole thing. Okay, there's more in there. All right? It's like one of those trailers where they show you basically the whole movie. No, there's, there's more. There's more. So please invite family and friends. Uh, pray for them. And Lord willing, the Lord will bring salvation that night. Uh, and for those, that are, those of us that are saved, we'll be reminded of the fact that we've been given paradise. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, we've uh, entitled this section, When We Gather. This is the last passage in this corporate worship section in 1 Corinthians 14. And if you're visiting, uh, we always have visitors on Sunday mornings. I'm going through 1 Corinthians 14 today, and you'll hear a lot about women not talking in church, tongues and prophecy, and you might think, why is he preaching that today? Well, our pattern is to go verse by verse through books of the Bible so that we know all of what God has said, know it in context, really understand it. And so we come to this passage today, and it sheds light on the kind of worship that God desires. So if He is our Lord, if He is our head, if He is our master, He gets to govern everything that we do, our money, our time, our friendships, our love, and our corporate worship. And so these people were coming to, cor uh, coming to corporate worship in Corinth claiming to be followers of Christ, and many of them were, but they needed some correction in terms of how they worshiped together. So 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 40 is our text this morning. Please follow along as I read. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. 
But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, because God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. If you've ever been in a chaotic courtroom or at least seen one on TV, you know, sometimes the judge needs to pound pound the gavel, bang the gavel a couple of times, and they say, what? Order, order in the court. This is a lot like what Paul's doing here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Order, order, order in the church. And that's the title I've given this message, Order in the Church. Paul's finishing off this section on order in the church, and he's gone through already a number of problems in their corporate worship. Women dishonoring their husbands, chapter 11. Selfishness and a lack of concern for others in the body as they partake of the Lord's table, chapter 11. Disunity, chapter 12. Self-promotion, chapter 12. A lack of love, all of chapter 13. And the failure to edify, which doesn't just show up in 14, but is sprinkled through 12 through 14 as well. So there are problems in the corporate gathering of this church. Now I'll remind you, Paul started off this letter in chapter 1 telling them that they were loved by God and that they would be sustained until the end. He says this, In chapter 1, verse 7, So you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to have that in your mind because it's important when you hear epistles and commands given from God that you always remember, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, one who's trusted in Him for salvation, that you are guiltless. You've been shown grace from God. The Reformers used to talk about three G's, guilt, grace, gratitude. Guilt, we're all born guilty, right? We're all born in Adam. Romans 3 is true. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then in Jesus Christ, we've been given the opportunity for complete righteousness. God the Father sent his son to die and pay the penalty for our sins, and that's just only half of the gospel. The other half is that he gives us Christ's righteousness. So we're righteous before God when we believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus rose again, gave us life. We've got, based on what the Bible teaches about the new covenant, we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us. Now we want to obey. And so our obedience is in that third G, gratitude. Our obedience is because we're grateful for what we've been given in the gospel. So we're not obeying this passage here instructions on how to worship rightly. We're not obeying this so that we can maybe then get salvation. We already have it. 
And by obeying this and all the commands of God, we obey because we're grateful to Him and we want to do what He says. So it's crystal clear to understand that as you come to a passage like this with a number of commands, number of rebukes, all right? So at the end of Paul's section here on corporate worship in 11 through 14, we hear these final exhortations to get back in order. And that'll be our outline for the morning. Two forceful exhortations for an out-of-order church. Two forceful exhortations for an out-of-order church. Here's the first from verses 26 to 33, the beginning of 33. Stop the self-promotion and build up one another. Stop the self-promotion and build up one another. Some in Corinth had the practice of talking over one another. You get that from what he's been saying. There was a competition to speak to teach, to share their gift of language. The church at Corinth would have been loud and chaotic at times, people talking over one another. And Paul exhorts them to speak one at a time and not so that they would be known and their gifts would be shown off, but speak one at a time for the purpose of maintaining order so that the church would be helped. The goal is not showing off your gifts, showing off what God has done for you and how he's gifted you. The whole goal is for the people of God to be edified, to be strengthened, to be built up. Verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Those are all the things that, that they were saying, that they were doing when they came together. Some had a hymn. Some wanted to recite a psalm. This could have been singing it together. could have been just simply reading the psalm. The Lord wants me to speak to you Psalm 57 or whatever it may be. That was what some were doing then. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. When there's competition and going over each other, that's the wrong. So, So some have a psalm or a hymn. Some have a lesson, a teaching, kind of like what I'm doing right now. I've got something I want to walk you through from the Old Testament scriptures and I want to communicate to you on behalf of God. Some had that agenda. Some had a revelation. This is probably more like we've been talking about in the previous weeks, a prophecy. Remember, they don't have the New Testament yet written down. So God's speaking to people in the church and they would then relay that to others. Some would come with a prophecy speaking for God. Some would come with a tongue praising God in a different way language, an actual language that others may or may not know, and some would come with the interpretation. I know that language. He just praised God in this language, and he just said this. So those were the ways that people were speaking at the church in Corinth. Nothing's wrong with them in and of themselves. The problem was, was the competition, speaking over one another. Then he talks about the needed order in using their gift of languages or tongues. Again, if you haven't been through or haven't heard our teaching on the last, um, throughout this series and, and on the gift of tongues and prophecy, a number of weeks back I did two messages on what are the gift of tongues, what are the gift of prophecy, and do they exist today? I encourage you to go listen to those. But right now, just to walk through the, the ways that he wanted them to use their gift of languages. Verse 27, if any speaks in a tongue or language, let there be only two or three at most. So just a couple. Some of you black and white people are like, well, how many? Two or three? And he just says two or three, okay? Just, it's just the principle, all right? Smaller amount. <laughs> Let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn 
So, so not speaking over one another, but taking turns, and let someone interpret. Now remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of knowing what's being said. Okay, this wasn't gibberish, and this wasn't to be an actual language that no one in the congregation knew. Someone was supposed to say, no, he's speaking in Italian, he's speaking in Greek, he's speaking in Hebrew, whatever it may be. This is what he's saying on behalf of God. Again, it had to happen one at a time. Verse 28, but if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Because as we saw earlier in chapter 14, to speak words that no one understands does not build them up, does not benefit, so just be quiet. And you can just speak to God, that language. Now he talks about order for prophecies. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. So again, they don't have the New Testament scriptures yet. So God's revealing truth to his church through people in the church. And he did that to different people in the church. It wasn't just one person at that time. So he'd reveal a truth and the others would simply listen and assess what's being said, weigh in the ESV, weigh what's being said, evaluate what's being said. Verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So here's the picture. Someone stands up in the church and says, thus saith the Lord, and they give truth to that assembled church. All right? And there's another sitting there that's listening in the congregation, and they get a word from the Lord. Okay, that would be true based on truth from the Old Testament scriptures, certainly. And they would then have maybe more insight than to what the first person said, or maybe have a follow-up as to what the first person said. So Paul says here, okay, now the person standing, now sit down now. The person sitting now has something to say. So you see this kind of, okay, you stop, now you start. It's not just one over the other, which is what was happening. God's not a God of confusion. He's a God of order, clarity, understanding. So if a revelation's been made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. You see the goal there. It's for building up. It's for edification. It's for being encouraged, learning. Verse 32, and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What's that saying? If you've got something in your spirit that you want to say, you prophet can control that. If other people are speaking, you can wait till they're done. You can go in order. If you give a prophecy and someone's sitting there has a prophecy and they say, I've got something to add to that, you can control your spirit and wait and let them speak. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets because God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, again, not wanting to belabor the points I made in the previous weeks about the abuse of the gift of tongues that goes on today, but oftentimes in places where today where people say that it's an unknown language, it's a, it's a language of the angels, which hopefully we refuted well enough a few weeks back. Uh, when people say that, it's interesting how many of those worship services are very chaotic and speaking one over another. God's not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace, and we've seen clearly from chapter 14 that he wants people to understand his revelation. Hear it, understand it, know it, apply it, respond. That's our God. He speaks clearly. He wants his messengers to speak clearly so that we can understand and be built up. Again, let all things done 
be done for building up, verse 26. And then verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. The goal is to understand and be encouraged, to be built up, to be helped. James, James 3.16 echoes the idea that where there's chaos and confusion and self-promotion and self-ambition, it doesn't lead the people of God to thriving. It leads to divisions. James 3.16, for where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, we know the church of Corinth had that, where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So confusion and fighting and speaking over one another does not lead to unity, does not lead to order, and therefore continues to lead into more vile practice. But God's a God of order, not confusion. Now this isn't really a problem in this exact way at Canyon Bible Church of Prescott. Normally people aren't shouting over me as I teach or shouting over Josh or Carl as they lead music. We've kind of learned from the mistakes of Corinth. But again, let's look at the heart matter of these people. They were trying to promote themselves in the church, and the way they were doing it might be foreign to us, but is there ever a heart of self-promotion in us when it comes to Christian things? Do we study to teach a lesson so that we would be known as a good teacher rather than simply trying to edify and build up and love the body? Is there any sort of self-promotion? And let me say, today is a day where self-promotion is the thing to do, isn't it? I mean, some of you are influencers on social media. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that in and of itself, all right? Saying things people read and listen and understand and learn about, I don't know, how to fix a washer or whatever you're an influencer for. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But when you start to use the ministry God's given you to elevate yourself rather than first and foremost love God's people, edify them, there's something wrong there. I was talking to some friends that, who are professors at the seminary that myself and Pastor Jason came from, Master Seminary. And they were talking about how these young seminary students coming in um, are kind of different than they were 10, 15 years ago. Now they're all trying to be Christian influencers. And they said they've had to shepherd a number of their students. Hey, get offline. You don't have to try to get a bunch of likes and a bunch of followers in, as you teach the Bible or say provocative things or whatever it may be. Just find a group of people, love them, build them up, Do that. It's not about you. It's about Christ. It's about them being built up. Self-promotion can really sneak in. We've all got to be careful of this. So we can't go through 1 Corinthians 14 and go, oh, I don't do that. I mean, I don't have the gift of languages, and uh, I don't speak over Pastor Andrew when he's preaching, or uh, that's not me. Let's move on. No, look at what the heart was with them. Is there any of that in us? Self-promotion does not belong in the Christian life. In fact, our Lord taught us the opposite, didn't he? Lay down your life, die to yourself, serve one another. So, when we come to church, go looking to build up, looking to encourage, 
not just as consumers, not looking to make the most of us, not looking to show off, go to build up and encourage. So this is the first forceful exhortation for an out-of-order church. Stop the self-promotion and build up one another. Secondly, second part of 33 to 36, stop the confusion of gender roles and obey God's law. Stop the confusion of gender roles and obey God's law. Some of the women of the church of Corinth, not all of them, some of the women of the church in Corinth were dishonoring their husbands publicly as they spoke out of order in the church gathering. We saw that earlier in chapter 11, right? We saw that, I'll actually read verse 6 for you. 11.6, for if her wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. That was a cultural expression of this back in the day. But she is But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair short or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head. He goes on into the covering. But but, uh, in, let's see, at the beginning of five, sorry. Every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head or her authority, the person God's placed in her life. So there's a dishonoring that's going on among these women in Corinth. I'll remind you, the culture of Corinth at the time, it was a heavily male-dominated city, and the men would be married, but then go and fool around on the side all the time, and there was nothing wrong with that in their eyes. This is the way the men acted. They would divorce their wives quickly, easily, whenever they wanted. This was a huge problem. And so, in an overreaction to that, the women of the Corinth started to assert themselves, started to disrespect men, started to go and sleep around on their own, and that's not allowed either. So, so they're responding to the sin of the men in Corinth by kind of matching them and one-upping them. And that's not right either. And so some of that was coming into the church. There was this contention, and the women are speaking up, and God has called the men to lead the home and the men to lead in the church, and there's this competition, there's this dishonoring going on. That's the context of this. So Paul says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Now notice he doesn't say, hey, just for you people at this time, because it's such a problem in Corinth, ladies, let's just not do that. As in all the churches of the saints. He writes about this to Timothy, who's pastoring his church. This is something that is done for all the churches. Then he says, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. Now he brings the Old Testament into it, as the law also says. Now he doesn't cite which passage he's talking about, but in 1 Timothy 2, he does. He says that men should lead in the church because Adam was formed first and then Eve. What's that getting at? Men were created to rule and reign on this earth, and women are created then to help do that. So men and women together ruling and reigning over the earth. Women are the helper. That's why when Eve sinned, God goes to Adam and says, what have you done? You didn't protect. You didn't care for your wife. Problem is not just Eve's, it's Adam's as well. Men are supposed to lead, protect, serve, care, instruct, teach. Men are supposed to care for their wives. This is how God wants society to flourish. Men protect, lead, care, and women and children thrive under that care. That's what's meant. 
Verse 35, if there's anything they desire to learn, these outlandish, dishonoring women, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. So what would happen is someone would utter a prophecy, God has said this, and then a lady would come in and challenge that. It looked a lot like what the culture would do during that day. You can go and read first century Corinthian philosophers and read about how this went on in Corinth, not even in the church in Corinth, but in Corinth. So the women would challenge this, and it would really bring dishonor to the husband of that wife. And that's what's happening here. Again, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Again, the context of this is in this contention, contentious women. And it's so interesting. It's so interesting how different cultures here, 21st century culture, 21st century America, different cultures respond to this. Different cultures respond to the teaching of the Bible. If you were in the first century and you read through the scriptures, you know what you would come away saying? You'd say, man, God has really elevated women. I mean, God prizes women. Oh my goodness. We read it today and people think, oh, God's demeaning women. God's pushing women down. How about we simply take God at his word and whatever he says, we follow and we believe that when he commands something, it's for our good. Now this, these passages here, please hear me, do not excuse men abusing their authority. Again, the Bible over and over teaches that people should flourish under authority. Children should not be harmed because of your authority. They should flourish and thrive. Men, ladies, your wives should not suffer under your authority, the authority God's given you to help care for your family. They should thrive and flourish. So where that's not happening, you can't say, well, I'm the leader. Well, lead better. Lead like Jesus. Lead as God would lead your wife. So this does not condone any sin on behalf of men. But it does say men are to lead here in the church and elsewhere, Ephesians 5, Colossians, men lead in the home. And they lead in a way that encourages, builds up, strengthens. Ephesians 5 nourishes. In Ephesians 5, they also cherish their wives. So in a rightly ordered home or church, women should flourish. That's the prayer. That's the hope. There was a battle in this church for the public platform of speaking. And women were taking their cues from what the culture was doing and where some of them were dishonoring their husbands. And then he says this in 36. Some of you have a paragraph break and then 36 starts a new paragraph in your English Bibles. Some of your English Bibles actually have 36 with this section at the end of the paragraph. I believe that's the better place for it. So Paul says, or was it from you contentious ladies he's still speaking to? Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? See, he's challenging them. You keep speaking over people, dishonoring your husbands. Are you the only one that God's speaking to? And interestingly, in the next paragraph, he's going to talk about his apostolic authority and basically say, people should recognize what I'm saying, that it's coming from God. Okay? Now, just because... Our culture needs clarification on this. Just some further clarity on women's roles, okay, according to the Scriptures. The context of this passage is the corporate gathering. 
This doesn't mean that women can't ever say anything in the life of the church. So ladies, please at your small group, when the small group leader says, any insights into this passage? What, What have you learned about this or that? Ladies don't say, well, I'm not allowed to ever talk in church. No, he's talking about a problem in the corporate gathering there in Corinth. Wives are under the leadership of their husbands, not all men. Okay? They're under the leadership of their husbands, not all men. The Scriptures speak of women speaking for the benefit of the church a number of times, don't they? Priscilla helped Apollos learn to be a better teacher. So we can't pit the Bible against itself. We take all the passages and come and see how they mesh together. Priscilla teaching Apollos. Women prophesying in Acts. Women prophesying in Joel's prophecy. Women speaking forth the truth. It wasn't that women were speaking. It was the way they were speaking. How they were doing it. Usurping male leadership. The Bible also does not teach that men are more godly than women. It does not mean men are more godly than women. It does not mean men are better than women. Again, What's taught is that both men and women are equal in the sight of God and they have different roles. Different roles, both equal, valuable. Women should be valued in the Christian church. This doesn't mean that women don't have a voice in the church. Just this last week, as some of you know, we were back in California helping to care for my dad and my niece is... Um, taking a, she's a homeschool student, but she's taking a Bible class at a local Christian school, and she's loving it. She's excited. She's talking about all she's learning, and she's really doing well. She's studying and understanding things, and it was really neat to see. And I said, Joy, you, you could be the next, and I named a female theologian that wrote a commentary that was really helpful to me as I taught through Mark. I said, you could be someone like that. It could be really helpful. Now, that's okay. All right? We learn things from our ladies who are godly and teach us. That's okay, Priscilla. Ladies who are prophesying in the book of Acts. But the teaching of the word of God in the corporate gathering, the leadership of the church is given to men in the New Testament. This doesn't mean that we never listen to our ladies. It simply is a role given to men in the corporate gathering of the church. At the end of the day, this is about honoring authority in the corporate gathering of the church. And the problem is that some of these ladies were dishonoring their husband and seeking to usurp the authority. That's the second exhortation for an out-of-order church. I think it's helpful to see here as we go through this how important it is for Christians to honor authority. This is not just something that ladies are called to do, something for all of us. Certainly in this passage, ladies are called to honor the authority over them. 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands are to show honor to their wives. Okay, so husband can't say, yeah, honey, you've got to show me honor when we're together publicly. The same could be, the opposite could be said as well. Husbands are to honor their wives as well. 1 Peter 2, 17, we are to honor the emperor honor the governmental authorities God has put in place over us. Romans 12.10 
says, outdo one another in showing honor. That's for the whole church. There's this competition. The competition in Corinth was, I want to teach. I've got something to say. No, 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 no. God's gifted me this way. That was Corinth. Paul tells the Roman church, hey, compete to show honor to one another. It's the opposite. 1 Timothy 5, 17, honor elders. 1 Timothy 6, 17, honor masters. Christians are people who know how to honor the authority over them. Doesn't mean you always agree, agree with the authority over you. Doesn't mean that there aren't abuses in the authority that need to be pointed out and dealt with. But there's an honoring of authority. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, God will judge all authorities. And he will right all wrongs. In the meantime, we show honor to the authorities God's given us. So here, again in Corinth, some of these ladies were failing to honor their husbands publicly by their contentious spirit. That's actually said in chapter 11, uh, 16. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, and he's finishing up that section on men's and women's roles, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Ladies, contention in church isn't something that Paul calls the churches of God to have in them. I remember hearing a story about a group of um, pastors' wives that would gather and uh, pray together, learn, and uh, the leader of this group, after a number of weeks, turned to one lady and said, you know, every time you come, you just, you just slam your husband to all of us. You're just critical of your husband in our group. It, I don't know him, but I don't like him. <laughs> and that's a problem. You should honor him. And, and that's a good word for that lady, and it, was, it helped her. Again, honor, honoring of husbands or authorities over us. Um, there's something here for the men too, isn't there? In this, 34, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Men are to know our faith. Men are to understand the scriptures. This does not mean that you've got to always be the one to get A's on the theological exam. And ladies, you always just got to get B's, okay? You, you can't get an A. Let your husband get the A. That's not what that's about. But it is saying there's a pattern that God gives that men should lead their families, lead their wives. Again, Ephesians 5, 25 to 33, washing our wives in the water of the word, making sure she's in a place to be thriving according to the word, you yourselves, knowing the faith, having answers to help lead and guide your family. And I love it that this is a pattern in this church. I love seeing this. It's not a pattern everywhere. But so many of you men, so many of you men are so excited about learning the scriptures, wanting to shepherd your wives, wanting to shepherd your families, understanding theology. You're reading books. You're reading scriptures. You're coming to trainings. You're do that's, that's exactly what the Lord intended. For us to know the faith because his words benefit his people. The people in your home, the people in your life. So praise the Lord for the men in our church who seek to know the faith, have an answer for questions. 
Let me say finally before moving off of this, let me speak to the young men in particular. We're really to all men. Biblical masculinity is not popular in this world, but it is a gift to this world. Never be ashamed of being a man. People talk about toxic masculinity. Now, now when men abuse their authority, that is toxic. That's a problem that needs to be dealt with. But simple biblical masculinity is not toxic. It's a blessing. It's a gift. Men, God created you to be men. He created you to lead, to care for, to cherish, to be meek, to protect, to defend. He created you the way he created you to help your family, your church, and the world. And today, the world does not want any masculinity at all. Again, I think a lot of that is in response to abuses they've seen, so I sympathize with, with people who see that or grew up under abusive dads or pastors or politicians or whatever it may be, and that's horrendous. But biblical masculinity, righteous masculinity, is not a threat to the world. It is a gift to the world. So never be ashamed of being man. Young men, do not, do not be ashamed of being a man. Lead, guide, protect, help people to thrive, encourage them. Don't sin, bring righteousness, bring care. I'll remind you of what David said at the end of his life. Kind of gives his deathbed speech. And he says, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like a rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Good leadership is meant to help people grow and thrive, and in the words here, sprout. It's good to be a man. It's good to be a woman as well. <laughs> However God made you, embrace that. Be that for the glory of God. God knows what he's doing. He does not make mistakes. Flourish in your masculinity, men. Flourish in your femininity, women. And show the world what roles coming together for the glory of God look like as they benefit a family, benefit a church, benefit the world. Final exhortations. He kind of wraps up all these chapters in 37 to 40 and gives these final exhortations. 37, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. So, so you all Corinthians got a lot of things wrong, and I'm writing to correct some of these things. Roles in the church, selfishness, pride, self-promotion, not caring for one another in the Lord's table misuse of your gifts, a lot of things wrong, and some of you are going to challenge what I'm saying, Paul's saying. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, if you truly think you're gifted by God to help lead and speak to this church, people of Corinth, you should acknowledge the things I'm writing to you are commanded of the Lord. Remember, Paul's an apostle sent by Christ to help teach this church. Now, what if someone doesn't listen to Paul? 38. If anyone does not recognize this, He's not recognized. The implication being by God. You don't recognize the messenger God sends, then you're not recognizing God and the voice he's speaking to the church. 
And he's not going to recognize you. You either submit to God's word or you don't. The warning here from Paul. Verse 39, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, to speak forth God's truth. That's a good thing to desire, to speak forth God's truth. And again, I mentioned a few weeks ago, in today's day and age, speak forth God's truth. Share scripture with one another. Enjoy scripture together. Pray scripture together. Worship in response to scripture. Speak forth the truth to one another. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. All throughout these chapters, he's talked about how to do this rightly, how not to abuse it. But the gift of tongues in that day and age was a gift to the church. So he's not saying stop it to that church. He's saying do it rightly and in order and for clarification and for understanding. So don't, don't overreact to the problem, church. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Again, stop the self-promotion, build up one another, stop the confusion of gender roles, and obey God's law. Now I want to end this section. Next week, we get into chapter 15, and we start talking about the resurrection of the dead. This is going to be good stuff. Because guess what you and I need? To be resurrected from the dead. Okay? I can't wait for next week. But here, at the end of the section on corporate worship, there are two kind of umbrella commands that kind of hover over these three or four chapters. Love and edify. Both of those focused on brothers and sisters in the church. Today we live in a day and age of consumerism in the church. What do I like? What do I want? What do I wish? Who do I like preaching, leading, teaching? How do I want ministries organized? No, no, no. When it comes to the church, Find a place where you can love other people and find a place where you can edify other people. If there's contention between you, let love reign. He writes to a contentious church, church at Corinth, and he reminds them, love is patient. Why do he say that to them? Because they weren't being patient. Love is kind. Why does he say that to them? Because they weren't being kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Endures all things. Love and edification are to rule and reign in the local church. Not consumerism, not self-promotion, but an other-centeredness. And that's not easy. You know, before you come to a new church and you're like checking it out on the internet and, okay, we're going to move here and go to this church, you, know, you go into it like, like a newlywed goes into marriage. This is going to be awesome. I mean, romantic walks all the time. I'm talking about the marriage, not in the church, okay? <laughs> Romantic walks all the time. I mean, fireworks, it's going to be wonderful. And then the newlywed couple gets together, and on the honeymoon, they get into a fight. Uh-oh. What do we do? You love. You work at it. You reconcile. You endure. You show kindness. 
Same is true in church. People come to a new church, this is going to be awesome. I love this and that. The website's great. I mean, yeah, here we go. And then, can you believe she said that to me? Can you believe he didn't let me do that? Can you believe? Love. Keep working at it. Keep seeking to edify one another. Let that rule and reign. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for not just commanding us to love one another, but for showing us what true love looks like. Jesus Christ, thank you for showing us what endurance, what bearing with, what kindness looks like in love. It looks like you coming for us and dying for us, laying down your life for us. And not just ending there, but even now praying for us, teaching us, guiding us. Father, would you continue to make Canyon Bible Church of Prescott a church that loves one another, builds one another up. If there's anything that we need to confess, may you bring that forth from our heart this week. May you forgive us and keep us walking forward together arm in arm, helping one another grow, helping one another grow into maturity because we want to be lights in this world. We want to show off your character. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.